horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you along for the ride. Today, it's going to be a little bit different, and thank goodness we have somebody as able as Nathan Miller with us. He's our producer. He's at the board as we get underway. I would like to read to you from the front page of the New York Times. I don't mean today. I mean Monday, October 31, 1938, New York Times. And the headline said, page one here, radio listeners in panic taking war drama as fact. Many flee homes to escape gas raid from Mars. Phone calls swamp police at broadcast of Wells Fantasy. There's a Wells and a Wells involved here. The story by H.G. Wells and the presentation by Orson Wells and his company. Here's the lead from that New York Times article. A wave of mass hysteria seized thousands of radio listeners throughout the nation between 8.15 and 9.30 o'clock last night when a broadcast of a dramatization of H.G. Wells's fantasy, The War of the Worlds, led thousands to believe that an interplanetary conflict had started with invading Martians spreading wide death and destruction in New Jersey and New York. And the article goes on to say, in Newark, in a single block at Hedden Terrace and Hawthorne Avenue, families rushed out of their houses with wet handkerchiefs and towels over their faces to flee from what they believed was to be a gas raid. Some began moving household furniture. Throughout New York, families left their homes, some to flee to nearby parks, and the story goes on from there. Today, with the help of our friend and someone who's been on this show a few times and will be at least a few times more, Carl Petrie of New Jersey. He knows Newark very well. He's the king of Kearney, New Jersey. And uh, Carl is going to lay out the story for us because it's just a magnificent example of unintended misinformation and the panic that ensued. Just really an amazing situation. There's been nothing quite like it. And we're going to discuss that here in a moment. We're talking about October 30, 1938, and the night that panicked America. This is American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with the interview right after this. Searching for your next getaway, everybody? Ridgeland is ready for you with fresh air and friendly people. Just off the scenic Natchez Trace Parkway in central Mississippi, it's easy to fall for Ridgeland's outdoor offerings, premier shopping, and hospitable hotels. Whether you're here for a one-of-a-kind event or a relaxing refuge, you'll never run out of ways to explore Ridgeland's perfect combination of urban amenities and boutique charm. Plan your trip at visitridgeland.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, 
whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. You've probably heard of Fargo, North Dakota, but we'll bet it's different from what you expected. Add Fargo to your bucket list this fall and find bold autumn colors along the Red River of the North, cow print, and Mario Brothers-themed murals, the world's largest dilly bar, and of course, the nicest people you've ever met. Experience North, that is, North of Normal. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk and our conversation with Carl Petri. He is an aficionado of car culture, so of course he fits our format. He's also an aficionado of pop culture. He has contributed mightily to that in his own independent way as a videographer, as a producer, and man about town in New Jersey and New York. He knows both of those areas very, very well. And he also knows about that night that panicked America. Oh, you would think, wow, could that really happen? Well, yes, it did. We welcome you, Carl Petri, to the show once again. Always good to talk to you, my friend. And it's always good to be on this show. And I'd like to welcome everybody who's listening to us. You know, back there on October 30, 1938, there was always radio. I mean, hardly anyone had a TV back in those days. But people, when they stepped into their living room, into the central place occupied by the radio to listen to the evening's entertainment, I'll bet many, many people really were not prepared and had no idea what they were walking into that evening. Tell us about that, Carl. Okay. Well, we have a central character here. It's Orson Welles, uh, a 23-year-old young man who was a producer. He was producing uh, with a newly formed company that he worked with, uh, John Hausman. They, they teamed together, and they came out with the Mercury Theater. And they were putting on shows on Broadway, and they were very successful. People loved the way Orson Welles was producing these plays. But then, of course, he expanded. There was no television at the time. He expanded to radio, and he called it uh, Mercury Theater on the Air. And so every week he would come up with a new uh, play that would be, you know, uh, broadcasted on on the radio. Now, it didn't have very high ratings, but needless to say, it was a very good show. On this one particular show on October 30th, 1938, the play was because it was Halloween. uh, He decided to do the War of the Worlds, you know, uh, H.G. Wells and that uh, his interpretation of that. So here he is in New York coming out with this. And he, he thought to himself, how am I going to make this interesting? So he decided to mix it, make it sound like a regular radio program and then interrupt it, make it sound like a news program. That was his whole idea. He discussed it over with John Hausman and uh, the, the members of the cast, how he was going to pull this thing off. It worked. It worked very, very well. And so it started off with, you know, playing, just playing music and, uh, you know, very low key. 
So if you happen to be on the radio, you're just listening to a piano concerto, whatever, and you're listening to this and you're not even thinking about anything else until he interrupts it with a news broadcast. And that's where everything hit the fan. Because at the time, you got to remember what I said before, the show wasn't that big. It wasn't that popular. There was another show that was on at the same time. It was called the Chase in Sanborn Hour with Edgar Bergen. That had a bigger ratings. But the thing is, they both came on at the same time. When the Chase and Sanborn show was on, everybody was tuned to that. But when they went to a musical interlude, people changed the channel. And when they changed the channel, they changed it to Orson Welles, where they started hearing reports of the Martians. Uh, They didn't hear the beginning of the show saying that it was a play. All they know is they're listening to this other program, and now they're saying that Martians have landed in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. And uh, that's probably a lot of the problems that happened on that particular show. It was all a matter of timing. And the timing was perfect for this crazy thing to happen, which would never happen again. But at that time, it was the premiere of something really crazy that happened. The timing was just right for it. Well, thank you for that synopsis of it, Carl. And I guess the first question I would have is, if the Martians could land anywhere and they made it here all the way from Mars, why Grover's Mill, New Jersey? Lovely place. It's it's kind of a hamlet. It's a tiny community. It is quite beautiful. And the Martians, what, they decided they were going to invade and set up shop there? Well, supposedly, you know, I can't verify it, but when they were writing the script, They had a map of New Jersey and somebody took a dart and they threw it into the map of New Jersey to see where the Martians would land. And it landed on Grover's Mill, New Jersey, which just happens to be right across the road from Princeton and actually Princeton University. And uh, that's how they picked out this place. You could see just in your mind's eye the listeners going wild. Oh my God, that's where Einstein is. They're they're working on nuclear physics and all this, trying to split the atom. Oh my God, all this going. You could start to build up a story for yourself, even as you're listening to this broadcast that seems so real. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, as see, another thing that uh, Orson Welles did is that he used the name of real places. Like uh, there is a Grover's Mill. There is a Princeton. There is all these places that he mentioned before. When later on in the broadcast, he talked about Newark, that the uh, Martians were uh, going over the Wachung Mountains, which exist. People in New Jersey know that. And they're going alongside the Pulaski Skyway, which everybody from New Jersey knows this. And then he talked about Raymond Boulevard and South Street in Newark. These are all real places. The only time he had a problem is when he was talking about uh, the in New York City, they had a hotel, which they didn't want him to uh, to say that, you know, was part of this play. And uh, it, it was a hotel Biltmore. He was going to use the hotel Biltmore as a site where some of this was happening. The, whole, the people of the hotel Biltmore said, 
don't you dare use our name. <laughs> so he came up, uh, instead of the hotel, um, that hotel name, he came up with uh, another name. I'm just trying to think of the name of it. It's, um, well, I'll, I'll think of it. <laughs> but it was another name that he came up. He, he invented a name. The Biltmore didn't want the free publicity. They didn't want, oh, that's right. It was the Park Plaza. He came out with the Park Plaza. That is a hotel that does not exist. But other than that, everything he spoke about in this broadcast were real places. So if you were from Newark, Jersey City, that type of area, the highly populated area of New Jersey, and they're talking about the Pulaski Skyway, and they're talking about Raymond Boulevard, and this, we know these places. We know them, and that's where they're coming. So it added that degree of realism. It certainly would do that. Yes, absolutely. And I can only imagine the panic because, and it's such a strange thing, Carl, because yes, they panicked. I mean, that's part of American history now, particularly pop culture history, the history of broadcasting. And when you think about it, they people who panicked had to either ignore or otherwise, maybe they tuned in late, whatever the reason might be. But there wasn't only one mention that this is a fictitious broadcast. Seems like Orson Welles did his responsible best to make sure that people knew that, yes, it's the night before Halloween. This is fiction. They were trying to put it out there. And yet people reacted as though it were literally a news broadcast with dispatches from the ground from where this attack was supposedly happening. Well, you know, once it's like lighting a fuse, you you start talking about the Martians have invaded. Many, many people are not going to sit there and just listen to the radio to them. It's like, it's a done deal. The Martians I hear are near the Pulaski skyway and they're into Newark. They're not listening to the radio. They already heard this. Now they're panicked about the gas coming out of these, these cylinders and, and people running for their lives. And, and if they do catch something on the radio, it's uh, weapons going off, uh, the airplanes you know, being shot down, and they're hearing all this. And they're in such a degree of panic that they don't have the time to listen in between the, uh, uh, the interruptions of the broadcast to say it's a play. They're already in gear. They're running around calling their, their relatives and friends and all that and say, we got to escape out of here. Remember, it's the days before television. It's only the radio. And so they're listening to this one station and they believe it's happening and they're going nuts with it. Uh, when this happened at um, Grover's Mill, it wasn't long, within a few hours, Grover's Mill was nothing but one big traffic jam. And if you ever saw Grover's Mill, you would say traffic jam where? There's only <laughs> two roads and it's only like, it's a farm. to this day, it's more like a farm community. But because of that radio broadcast, that day, that night, there was a traffic jam going right through Grover's Mill. Everybody was trying to escape. And you and I, my partner, Suzanne, your lovely wife, Sue, made the trek. And this was at your invitation. You want to go out and see this. Do I ever? And we went out there to Grover's Mill. I can say I have been there. It is a wonderful pastoral setting in a way. 
they have, you know, thousands of people that live there, there, but you're, I mean, nobody would confuse it with Newark there. So when you go to Grover's Mill, one of the things you see is an iconic old barn they have there with the town name on it. And you realize you're going to a place of genteel living where you wouldn't expect much of any kind of trouble, a lovely pond out there. And I let my mind wander and I go, well, if I was a self-respecting Martian and I'm going to come down, I'm going to want a water source to be nearby. I'm not going to land on the White House lawn. This is an invasion. After all, we want to catch them while they're sleeping. That's true. And the thing about uh, Grover's Mill is after this broadcast, you would think Grover's Mill would say, okay, it came and it went and that's it. But see, it was always a center for people to want to see this place. Knowing what happened. That October night, 1938, for years, people would come and they would want to see Grover's Mill. And the town of Grover's Mill decided to maybe capitalize on it. So the West Windsor Arts uh, Council, they have been celebrating this landing of these Martians ever since that year. And they decided years later to put up plaques to show people this is the place. It's actually a place called the Van Ness Park. That's the name of the area that that it's uh, that this little park is in, that they decided this is where the Martians landed. And uh, so here they put these huge plaques, and they're beautiful plaques. They're not nothing cheap. They're made out of uh, bronze, and they tell the whole story about what happened on there in 1938. They, they went so far as to make a memorial there. There's actually a memorial in this park designating what happened there on a radio in 1938. And so, and we will go a little bit further than that. They actually put a time capsule under the monument. And in 2038, which would be the 100-year anniversary of the landing of the Martians there. They will be digging up that time capsule and open up for everybody to, you know, to hear what they buried a hundred years ago. You ever try to hazard a guess, Carl, what might be down there after, and this is post events. So there what sorts of things would be representative to these folks. That's what I'm curious about because I doubt I'll be there when they unearth it. You never know. I hope, <laughs> I hope you and I are. Uh, I would think that there'd probably be like newspaper articles about it, probably a record, because uh, they had records, of course, records back then, a record of the broadcast. I would expect that. And uh, maybe some other things in town that may be uh, pictures, photographs, uh, or the people, the crowds that were there uh, back, back in 38. That's what I would expect to be in that capsule. But we'll never know until we we just... Quite our time. Until the time comes. That's right. And the site itself, those, I call the monument signs, but actually these are artworks unto themselves in that park near a pond. It's just such a lovely setting. It reminds me a lot, Carl, of the monoliths from 2001, A Space Odyssey. There's yes. that futuristic concept to it. And you can actually walk up and read this and just be in awe of that singular evening in American history. Oh, that's absolutely true. And um, uh, it has this little thing that happened one night in 1938 had a rippling effect uh, throughout. You would think only New Jersey or the United States, but it didn't. 
it rip, had ripples around the world. Now, believe it or not, Adolf Hitler, on November 8th, 1938, he was giving a speech in Munich, Germany, and uh, he made mention of this broadcast. And he started knocking the United States for this horrible thing that they did. And uh, he said that the type of, of a country that we are, we would allow this to happen and that we pull this out on our people, that how horrible we are to do stuff like this. Now, here it is. This little event actually made its way around the world and into Europe's you know, big dictator at the time. So you could see the repercussions of this little this, this radio show that is really not much to speak about, but look at the rippling effect, how it had throughout the world. When you're front page news the next day in the New York Times and elsewhere, you've done your job as a presenter of fiction, but many people, many, many people took it the wrong way in reading about this incident, Carl. I recall reading that there was a midweek church service somewhere in Wisconsin, might have been Milwaukee or the environs, and a lady in a total panic, a member of the congregation, busted into this church meeting, and they must have wondered where she was. She was listening to the radio, but she showed up at church, and she was telling her fellow congregants that they all needed to go home and commit suicide. <laughs> I don't think she had any takers, thank goodness, but this is the effect it had on many people. Well, within, uh, I think within a year, or maybe it was even less than a year, there were 12,500 articles written about that event that happened on that one day. That's 12,500 articles written about that. So, I mean, talk about a rippling effect. Now you know why people want to go to Grover's Mill. That little tiny town, people, they focus in on this place and they just want to see it because it, it is a big historical event that really didn't happen. The Martians never did land there, but that regardless of it, it's still a place that they want to see. Younger people today would hear us talking and say, so in other words, that broadcast went viral? <laughs> right. Yeah, it certainly did. And uh, it didn't take long for uh, you know the companies to start putting it out on records, duplicating it. And to this day, you know, people will want to sit and listen to it. As a matter of fact, what I did is I took this, um, uh, this broadcast, which I had, you know, recorded, and I wanted to show it to the young people. Now, the thing is about young people, especially in school, they would just, to have them sit there and just listening to a recording isn't going to cut it. So in my living room, I have an old radio. I had an old chair. And so what I did is I had an actor dress up like the 1930s. And he came into the room. I have an, an old lamp on top of the radio. He sat down and he had a newspaper. And he turns the radio on. And as he does, I'm recording all this um, video. And as he does, then you start hearing the, um, the broadcast. Now, it was surprised me to watch the classroom. They were watching this thing and, and they were they saw this man sit down and they were they listened to the entire broadcast. 
because it was on video. <laughs> That's the way you do it today. That's fantastic. What an amazing and terrifying night in American history. Carl, thank you so much for the story. And uh, there's so much more to tell. I encourage people start with Wikipedia, go wherever you want. Uh, there's a movie you can get called The Night That Panicked America. Great story of that put in fictional form, but it really tells the story beautifully. Carl Petrie, thank you for joining us today for giving us this synopsis and some details about an amazing night. My pleasure. It was great being on the show, like always. And we'll have you back again. That's for sure. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to be back with a preview of next week's show right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Aiken, South Carolina is a small southern town built on equestrian traditions, sporting fun, and outdoor pursuits. Located in western South Carolina, just 20 miles from the Georgia state line, Aiken has many unique activities to cater to each kind of visitor's needs. Welcome to Aiken, South Carolina. Welcome to the Sporting South. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. I wanted to tell you just a bit about next week's show. Fred Carlisle will join us. He's the author of The Lake Effect, a Lake Michigan mosaic. He joins us for a discussion that is grounded in the author's personal experiences, but then the story moves to broader considerations, including the aesthetic, emotional, historic, economic, and social effects of Lake Michigan. We hope you will join us. And thank you for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, tuning into American Road Trip Talk along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. <laughs>